Have you ever been told by a Christian friend that they wanted to love on you and it made you feel uncomfortable? Has a believer ever asked you who you were doing life with and you didn't know what to say? Has someone ever invited you to a fellowship but you didn't go because you don't even know what that is? Hi, I'm regionally semi-successful Christian music recording artist Micah Tyler and I'm here to help solve a problem that so many in our world face today by offering to you a new program, Rosetta Stone Christianese. Unlike Hebrew and Greek, which are only learned by your pastor so they can impress you with one line each Sunday morning, Rosetta Stone Christianese will teach you to communicate the Lord's true language for the church today. With Rosetta Stone Christianese, you'll learn words and phrases like being relevant, unspoken prayer requests, quiet time, and I see that hand. You'll also learn measurements like tenfold, one hundredfold, a season, and much, much more. As you mature in your relationship with Christ and His bride, we also offer advanced courses in Southern Draw, West Coast Slang, and King James Version. So whether you're on your computer, riding in your car to a Bible study, or even in your prayer closet. Rosetta Stone Christianese will give you the tools that you need to grow and bear fruit in your Christian walk and your Christian talk. And that's not all. With your order today, you will also receive a free church sign pocket decoder that will help you dig into the theological depths of every roadside treasure. Signs like sunscreen prevents sin burn. God answers an email and what's missing? Car. So log on to our website, sign up today, and begin the journey of a lifetime by conforming to the ways of these words. And if you are not fully satisfied within the first 40 days and 40 nights of purchasing this program, well, bless your heart. There are no refunds. May the Lord give you a hedge of protection and traveling mercies wherever your feet may carry you. I'm Michael Tyler. Peace be with you. All right. If you didn't realize that that was a spoof, you might have a problem. Uh, what that was about is maybe what some of you are thinking when you saw the bulletins as you walked in this morning and you saw the word abide. Now, most of you say, oh, Pastor, I know what that means. But if I asked you to define it, that would be a little different. Uh, because we have these words that we use or we're familiar with because we're churched and we've gone to church maybe, uh, but we don't exactly know how to zero in on a definition of what the word means and what it's actually saying. So, the, this morning, what does the word abide mean? How often, how many of you have used this word this week? Just in random conversation, like, yeah, yeah, I abided this week. Probably not, not, not a common word that you're going to use in everyday language. Uh, I can argue for the case that abide is a Christianese word. It's something someone might ask you just in church. Have you been abiding this week, brother? And you're, you're going to say yes, because, you know, you know that's the right answer. 
um, even if you don't know what it means. And so for most of us, we would be a little hard-pressed to actually narrow in on a definition, a specific definition. And actually, what we'll talk about this morning is even most church people I, would, I have found don't have the proper definition of abide. And so we're going to uncover that this morning. But uh, to do that, I think it's, it would help us to first look at the most familiar, most uh, well-known passage about abiding. So let's get a little bit of context before we dig into this, uh, and then we'll look at uh, what it means. So uh, John chapter 15, if you have your own Bibles, and if I want to be honest with you, I do my studies in the ESV, and as I was preparing this sermon this week, I, I realized for the first time the, the version we usually use doesn't use the word abide, so it didn't really work for us for the sermon series. So uh, normally we read out of the New Living Translation, but this week and uh, through this series, we're going to be looking in the, we're going to be using the ESV. Um, so English Standard Version of the Bible. So if you like to follow along in the same version on your own, you can do that through the ESV, um, or you can just follow along on the screen. So John chapter 15, verses 1 to 11 says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So that's the passage. That's the most familiar passage that most of you think of when you think of abiding. Uh, it's actually not the passage where you find the most about abiding. Uh, we'll cover a little bit of that as well, um, but most people would think, yeah, abiding, that's a John 15 thing. Well, it's actually not um, the most thorough covering of abiding, but it is the most popular, uh, and that's very clear. Everybody understands what abiding is now, and I can just sit down, right? Yeah, we're all, we're all perfectly clear. Probably not so much. Probably hasn't helped. Uh, before we dive into our entire sermon series on this one word, abide, I think it's going to help us to define what does it mean? What, let's get an understanding of what the word abiding or abide means. Well, the definition of abide, if you look into a biblical dictionary, uh, it means to stay to remain, to continue, or to reside. If I was abiding in your home, it means I'm living in your home. If I'm abiding somewhere, it means I'm staying, I'm remaining, continuing, residing. It's no wonder the Bible often uses marriage as an analogy for our relationship with Christ. We've talked about this before. Uh, very often it uses marriage. Uh, we're called the what of Christ, the bride of Christ. There's a uh, running marriage analogy. 
But you would probably find it a little weird, uh, maybe a little odd, if someone asked you to marry them, then after the ceremony suggested that you live separately, have separate finances, separate friends, and really only see each other maybe once a week. You'd hang out for a little bit, maybe an hour or two once a week, and that would be the sum total of your relationship. How many of you would be like, yes, that sounds like a beautiful, wonderful, intimate marriage? Yeah, no, not many people, huh? Marriage isn't just a verbal commitment on, or a piece of paper that you sign. Uh, unfortunately, some people view it that way, uh, but that's not what marriage is. It's not just saying that you're staying or remaining together. It's actually remaining, staying, residing together. That's what abiding is, is it staying together. Now, if you were in that situation and someone said, hey, this is what I want to propose to you. Let's get married, but everything is separate. We'll only see each other periodically. Would you consider that abiding with that person? No, you would consider that a very weird and unhealthy relationship is what you would probably call it. There is a togetherness aspect to abiding. It's not just a a verbal commitment. It's not just a legal commitment or a legal forcing to be uh, a union. There is something about a, a relationship. There's something about a togetherness. How many of you feel like you would be closer to your spouse, not, no, hear me now, not happier, closer to your spouse if you didn't live together? Probably not. Uh, living together, having to share space, uh, for some of us, sharing the one-tenth of the bed we're allowed to have, uh, it helps us grow closer to our spouse. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't mean anything by that. Uh, but we learn, many of us, first, I don't know about you, but when I was first married, I learned I'm a pretty selfish person. I wouldn't have learned that if I lived by myself. And I learned uh, a lot of things about myself um, as I started to live with another uh, person who I was now married to, who I didn't grow up with or anything like that, uh, it changes the relationship when you begin to abide. And then things happen, and good things happen, and bad things happen, and stress happens, and fights happen, and you continue to abide. Uh, some don't, but that's what abiding is. When you, com- when you marry someone, you commit to abide with them until death parts you. Most of the time, uh, at least when I uh, officiate a wedding, uh, that's part of, it has to be in there for me. That's, that's a non-negotiable. As we're talking about marriage until death parts you. That's it. And I'm very clear when we talk about it. It's not a uh, contract. It's a covenant. And it's not a contract with each other. It's not a covenant to each other. It's a covenant to God about each other. It's this commitment that, that says until death parts us, we are abiding together. Unfortunately, in our culture today, not many people actually mean it when they say, for better or worse, until death do us part. Most people don't actually mean that. They just mean until I decide otherwise. They're not willing to abide through the trials. Those of you who are married here, probably you've been through some stuff. You've been through some valleys. You've been through some difficult times. Um, I know more than one of uh, the people who call Dubois Alliance home have been through divorce and remarried. You've been through tough times. You've been in a situation where abiding was on the table of, and possibly to, to take off, or you've been there where that's happened. But abiding is remaining. 
staying, residing together, continuing on through all the stuff. So do we understand what abiding means? There's this togetherness, this going through stuff and not separating when things get hard, but staying through everything together. How many of you would say you abide in Christ? Okay. How many of you would say, not quite gotten there yet as a Christian, still working on it, still working on the whole abiding thing? Okay. Another question. How many of you would say you're a saved, born-again Christian? Okay, most hands. How many of you would say you've not quite gotten there yet, you're still working on that? Okay. They're the same question. This is where I disagree with so many church people's understanding of abiding. Abiding is salvation. To be saved is to abide. To not abide is to not be saved, to not know Christ. How do I know this? Well, in the Bible, those who are saved are described by this term you find very often in Christ. To be in Christ is to be in relationship to Him, is to, be, is to know Him as Savior. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, is there condemnation for those who are not saved? Absolutely. That's kind of the point of the Bible, is to say, this is not what you want, because that's eternal suffering. Heaven is what we want. Jesus has purchased that for us. So to be in Christ is to have no condemnation. The only way to have no condemnation is to be a Christian, is to have a saving uh, relationship with Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So to be in Christ is salvation. Abiding isn't a special connection unique to only the most fervent Christians. That's not what abiding is. And yet, we have likened it to that. We have said, no, abiding is this like upper level Christian living. That's what true abiding is, is, is. It's this extra special connection. And what John 15 says is that's not true at all. Abiding is salvation. If we're not connected to the true vine, we're not connected to eternal life. To be in Christ is to be abiding. So if you are a Christian, then you are abiding. I know I kind of tricked some of you uh, into saying you weren't abiding, uh, but I hope you are abiding. I hope uh, as we talk about this this morning, you'll realize, you realize if you aren't abiding, that an enormous red flag should go up for you to say, hold on, I thought I knew Jesus. I thought I was in a place where eternal salvation was mine, but I don't think I'm abiding. Abiding is another good test to see if you do know Jesus as your Savior. See, the problem comes when, using the marriage analogy again, we think that we can have the benefits of a relationship with Jesus without actually becoming the bride of Christ. Probably every single one of us knows a couple who is living together but not married, right? I don't think I have to ask for a raise of hands there. Almost all of us know somebody. Some of us are probably frustrated with the somebody that we know because they might be related to us or anything like that. Um, they want the benefits of a relationship, of a marriage, I'm sorry, the benefits of a marriage without the commitment. You know, now, 
having friends that I know this way or family uh, that have lived this way, uh, I know some of the excuses that you'll hear. Well, it's about finances. That's one of the first ones you always get. Um, we haven't gotten married yet because of finances. Uh, they don't believe in organized marriage. That's another one I've heard. Uh, or they'll get married someday. We plan to get married. We just haven't got around to it yet. That's how many of us see our relationship with Jesus. See, as church people, sometimes we can get all fired up about these issues like, oh man, if I got up here and started talking about couples who are living together but aren't married, yeah, we'd get some amens, we'd get some fire under our butts. But then when we liken it to our relationship with Jesus, it gets a lot quieter. See, we think we can have the benefits of a relationship with Jesus without actually becoming the bride of Christ. Uh, that becomes the problem. We want the benefits of salvation, hope, security, community, without actually making that lifelong commitment to Jesus and saying, I am yours. Because that's difficult. Many of you who have gotten married and you began to live with another person, it probably didn't take very long before you realized, this is hard. This takes work. This is not as easy as I thought it was going to be. Some of you are uh, on a second or more marriage, and you realize you went into that knowing this isn't all, you know, dreams and sunshine and rainbows. This is going to be really difficult. It's a difficult thing to do. We want the benefits of salvation, but we don't want to give up our relationship to the things of this world. Not many of you, certainly uh, nobody in a healthy relationship, would be okay with marrying someone on the condition that they could keep a boyfriend or girlfriend the whole time that they were married. How many of you are okay with that? Probably not, okay? Um, if you are, you're either Mormon or you have some healthy relationship boundary problems, okay? Most of us wouldn't be okay with that, and yet we treat Jesus in a very similar way. See, we desire exclusivity in our marriage. Most of us would say, yeah, when I married my wife, the expectation was that she would be mine for the rest of my life, and I would be hers for the rest of our life. That was kind of the point of marriage. Well, so does Jesus. The option for us is abide. Make a lifetime commitment to Him and Him alone. No side anything just to Jesus, or don't. But the choice is ours. See, that's where we kind of get it a little confused. We can think, well, I'm going to abide in Jesus, but I'm going to keep one foot in the world because I really like stuff. And I, I'll give Jesus a little bit, um, kind of like the analogy we used earlier. Uh, we want to be married to Jesus, but we really only want to visit him once a week maybe an hour or two if we're feeling really holy that week. Um, but the rest of the time, our finances are separate, our friends are separate, everything else is separate. We compartmentalize our relationship with Jesus, and we think that we are a Christian. And Jesus says, ah, no, that's not abiding. That is certainly not the picture we get in Scripture for abiding. If we look at the way that Jesus describes this in John 15, it's very clear. Jesus first says, he is the true vine. John 15, 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying he is the source of life 
of strength and of vitality. The branches have absolutely nothing without the vine. They cannot exist. They certainly cannot bear fruit. So, the branches and the fruit only exist in a healthy way because of the vine, because of Jesus. The branches who do abide are those who are truly saved. They draw their life from Jesus. Their entire being comes from Jesus, and they produce fruit. This is going to become very important, so keep this in your mind, because notice it doesn't say they can bear fruit. They may bear fruit. At one time or another, they will bear fruit. It says they do. They just do bear fruit. John 15, 5. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, the withered branches, which do not abide, are those who appear to be saved. See, I don't, I don't know if you've ever done a lot of gardening or uh, uh, vine dressing. Most of you probably aren't professional vine dressers. Um, but if you just do a, a little study, if you want some homework for this week, you like to do a little research, uh, do some research on what it means to take care of a grapevine. Uh, it'll help you tremendously over the next few weeks as we dive into this abide passage, and we'll cover some of that as we walk through this. But understanding uh, the way everything works is you actually have to look and pay pretty close attention. You have to see which vines to cut, which ones to prune, which ones to trim. Uh, and what this is saying is the withered branches are those who appear to be saved, but they're not drawing life from Jesus. That's why they're withered, and they do not produce fruit. Now, notice in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. What does that indicate? There are false vines. There are vines which are not Jesus that produce something, and it's seen in the fruit they produce. And so many of us, no, I don't want to say that, uh, some of us, may be connected to a vine we think is Jesus because it looks a little bit like Jesus, because it sounds a little bit like Jesus. And I think we covered a lot of that in our last series called the True-ish series. We're connected to a true-ish vine. And so we pr produce true-ish fruit, and we think we're a Christian. But they only have the appearance of a fruitful vine. John 15, 6. If anyone does not abide in me... He is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. Now, does this mean that people can lose their salvation? This is one of the passages that people will go to who believe that people can lose their salvation. I don't believe so. Um, it's certainly not my stance. Just like when a couple is living together but not married, uh, when they split up, do they get divorced? No, they don't get divorced. They were never married. They never took that step of marriage. It only appeared like they were married. Everything appeared to be in this same context. I mean, for a lot of people, I, I never understand when I go to a wedding, for people that have lived together for like six, seven years, they're, they're throwing this big wedding. Yeah, the average wedding cost is $30,000. Well, it was almost eight years ago when we got married, which is ridiculous. They're spending all this money on this wedding. And nothing changes for them. 
They pull, except now they walk around with rings on their fingers. And I had never understood, like, why even bother? Why bother with the big expensive party? Nothing's changing. You already had something that appeared to be marriage. Nothing changes for them. And that's these people that John 15 is talking about, people who appear to be in a relationship with Jesus. Everything looks right because I'm telling you, people, if you hang out in church long enough, you'll start to look the part. You'll start to act like it. You might, if there's a certain dress code to it, you know, a lot of churches have these unspoken dress codes, and you start to look the part, you start to sound the part, you start to act the part. You might even cook for the men's or women's breakfast, and and you're part of ministries, and you help out in different things, and everything looks really good, but they're not connected to the true vine. They only appeared to be connected. In a similar way, there are so many people that appear to be Christians, but do not abide. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. For me, this is a very uh, good verse to explain how I don't believe you can lose your salvation, because what is John saying here? The mere fact they did not remain, which is the definition of abide, that same word can be translated as abide and is translated as abide in some versions. He's saying because they didn't abide, it's clear evidence they weren't of us. They weren't connected to the true vine. Romans gives us a great picture of what happened to us as Gentiles, uh, which is a nice fancy word to say that we're not of Jewish origin. Uh, We don't have Jewish heritage. Uh, For the Gentiles, they were grafted in, Romans tells them, to the true vine. Romans chapter 11, verses 17 to 21. It says, but if some of the branches were broken off and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among the others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. That is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. This passage is saying some were grafted in. Uh, if you don't know the process of grafting, it's a very tricky process. It takes a lot of work and, and expertise in order to accomplish that. Basically taking a branch from one tree and putting it onto another tree is what it is. But it says they're to never take advantage Uh, Or they're never to take for granted what happened in that moment as they were grafted in. And what uh, this passage is saying and what John is talking about in John 15 is saying some of those branches, though they were grafted in, it's never a perfect process. And sometimes it just doesn't take. They don't begin to draw life from the vine. They don't begin to draw life from the roots and from the sustenance of the plant and the branch withers. And so many people, they've been given the opportunity of being grafted in, but they've never taken the life. They've never begun, begun to pour life out, draw life from the vine. And one way to tell is they've never produced fruit, and it says they'll be broken off. And I want you to notice the criteria of how 
in both John 15 and Romans 11, the withered branches and the broken off branches are determined. How do they determine that this branch is not connected to the true vine or that it's not drawing life from the vine? Fruit. All about fruit. It's a lack of fruit. So what does this mean for us today? Well, there are many, many people who will say, well, I I know Jesus as my Savior, but there just is no fruit. And that's the criteria that's being used here to determine whether or not a branch is drawing life from the plant. If a branch is drawing life from the plant, it's saying it will produce fruit. That's a non-negotiable. That will happen. The branch doesn't even have to try that hard. It's just going to produce fruit if it's connected to the vine. What matters is if we are producing fruit. But I think that's a little too general. What does fruit look like of someone who is receiving life and sustenance from Jesus, the true vine? Now, I know some of you are immediately going to start singing the song, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? Except you might sound good. Uh, That's where we go. And we think, well, am I more patient? Am I more loving? Am I more kind? Am I more of any of those things than I was the first day I came to know Jesus? And it becomes a self-improvement theology. As long as I can be more of something then I'm a, it's evidence I'm a Christian. I'm, I'm less angry as I've gotten older. I, I know a lot of people who don't know Jesus and got less angry as they got older. I know a lot of people who got a lot more patient as they got older. I know a lot of people who uh, appeared to have the fruits of the Spirit without ever having the Spirit inside of them. So, yes, those are fruits. They're fruits of the Spirit. But I think we kind of cheese out sometimes. And just use those as an excuse to view ourselves as Christians. I think there are other more clearly defined fruits. Because if I'm honest, I know the first couple years of my walking with Jesus, I never, and maybe I'm just dense, but it never dawned on me that the fruits of the Spirit were actually supposed to be of the Spirit. I was just trying harder to do all of those things, to be more patient, kind, loving, gentle, all of those things. And some of us are still stuck in that. So what are some of the actual fruits, something that you could look at to say, is that person truly a believer? Or you might be asking yourself this morning, am I truly connected to the vine? Well, one of the first fruits I would argue is perseverance or continued abiding. That when you watch somebody go through some of the stuff that happens in life, And when you see them draw deeper into Jesus in the midst of the storm, then you can, that's that's a fruit of abiding. Because if you were caught out in the middle of a storm and it was a a rager and there was some hail coming down, where are you going to go? In the middle of a field and stand and just wait for the hail to take you? Hopefully not. Uh, You're going to go for shelter. You're going to go somewhere safe. And for us, when we experience the, whether it's the dark night of the soul or we experience one of those valley moments when life is tough, when we run to Jesus in that time, it shows us this is where we find our strength. That's where we find uh, our, that's where we draw our life from. And so we're going to the life source. Other people, and you probably know some of these, 
when they've hit the trials of life, they stop attending church, they draw away from God, they start to blame God for everything, that's maybe an indicator that they don't have a connection to the true vine. They've not drawn life from Him, and when they really desperately need that life, they draw further away from Him. Now, I am not what I would consider an old person, even though sometimes I hurt and I don't know why, uh, and I had the gout, but I think that's funnier than some of you do. Uh, but there are people in our family who I think can speak far better into this idea of perseverance, of continued abiding, some who have abided longer than I've even been alive. And so one of the things we're going to do in this series is we're going to hear from some of our seasoned saints on what it means to abide. So I want you to watch this and, and see what uh, Miss Donna Hilliard has to say on abiding. God any rivers you think are impossible, God any mountains you can't tunnel through, God specializes in things thought impossible. He does those things that no one else can do. Good morning. My name is Donna Hilliard, and I'm going to relate to you what, as an older person, I think it is to abide in the true vine, Jesus Christ. And uh, another word I feel for abiding is connecting. We have to be continually connecting to the vine because we're just one of the branches. And if we don't get our nutrient and so on from the vine, we're going to die. So we need to that connection all the time, and, and uh, a vital connection, actually. And when I think of the Father, I think of God the Father as the vine keeper. You know, he's the one that does the pruning. If we get away or whatever, we're the branches, and he can prune us this way, and he can knock this over, and so on. And he doesn't do it to be mean. He does it because he loves us. And he wants us to be in that abiding, in that vine, because that's where we need to be spiritually. That's where we can be fruitful, is in that vine. And so his, I think he's like a vine keeper, does the pruning and so on like that. And of course, Jesus, his role is the vine, the true vine that we need to be abiding in at all times. We need to be in this word. So that when anything comes against us, we can say, I have the word, and this is what the Lord says. And we can defeat Satan that way. And I think that's what it means to me as an older person. I want to stay close to the vine. And, you know, if you follow a vine down, clear down, it's got a good foundation down there. And that's... That's what the Lord is, a good, the, the foundation like that. And that's why he can send nutrients up to we as the branches, and we can be obedient and, and really be in tune to what the Lord wants us to be. And that is, <clears throat> excuse me, but abiding in the Lord as, as the, the true vine and also staying in the word of God. And uh, I don't have too much more up there. <laughs> but this, I think this is important that we have a spiritual control center. And, and that's abiding with the Lord. And as long as we 
are obedient there. And like I said, I'm sure we're not perfect, and we're not perfect, and we make a lot of mistakes. But the Lord understands, and He loves us. And when He when He takes these things off of us and prunes us and so on, it's because He loves us. He doesn't want to do any harm. He wants us to be fruitful, and He wants us to stay in the center of His will and and abide in the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that it? Is that all right? Is That's that long great. enough? Thank you. <laughs> I said, you know, the pastor ought to know better than to let an old lady talk. <laughs> <laughs> I, yes. Expect to hear more from Miss Donna. She gave me a lot more pearls than I could fit into one sermon, so uh, you'll hear more from her on what it means to abide. But I think that's one of the most clear fruits that you can look at is to see, you know, that's one of the reasons Donna came, one of the first people that came to my mind when I thought, uh, Lord, who can speak into this? Somebody who has a clear track record of persevering in God, who constantly goes back to the vine in good season and bad seasons, going to the vine and persevering in that. So that's one of the fruits. John says another fruit of abiding is obedience to God's commands. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Again, it's not conditional. It's not possible. It's, it's not like, well, they might possibly do this. It says, if you're abiding, this is what we'll do. 1 John 3.24 says, Whoever keeps His commandments abides in God and God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us, by the Spirit whom He has given us. So another fruit of abiding is the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and an acknowledgement, a, a knowledge that the Holy Spirit dwells in us, as the last verse indicates, and as 1 John four thirteen says, by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And so if you are somebody who believes you're abiding and you have no knowledge of the Holy Spirit in, within you, if you have no acknowledgement, no uh, confirmation the Holy Spirit dwells inside of you, then there should be a concern in your, in your mind because this, this is a clear fruit of abiding. And finally, we follow the example of Christ. That is a little bit more of a, a subjective fruit but as you watch someone's pattern of living, it becomes a lot more clear as they walk with Jesus, just like the perseverance one. Um, take some time maybe to watch, but as you watch someone's life, you'll see them mimic Jesus' life. Not out of obligation, not because they feel like they have to, but they have a desire to be more like Jesus. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And so if we are true believers, if we are really abiding, then we will follow Christ's example in, in all ways. But here's one thing I want us to walk away with this morning. Fruit is the evidence, not the goal. Okay, I want to say it again because I want us to hear this. Fruit is the evidence, not the goal. For so many churches, the goal 
is the fruit, not Jesus Christ. For so many churches, it's more that you act the part. It's more that you stop smoking, stop cursing, stop wearing that, start wearing this, start doing this. Look like you're more patient, more kind, more good, more faithful. All of this, that's the goal. And if for some people, for them, a church that is relatively full of people who act really nice is the goal. That's what they want. That's what make, that would make them feel so good. That same person wouldn't be happy if, as they walked into church, there was a couple people smoking in the parking lot, and they heard someone cursing as they walked through the hallway into the church, and they came in here, and people were dressed in a very inappropriate manner, at least for in their definition of inappropriate, and they would not be happy. And I would argue there's a good chance that's a much healthier church, because their goal is not the fruit. Their goal is Jesus, getting people to Jesus, knowing that the fruit, that'll come. Man, once you connect someone to the true vine, they will produce fruit. But fruit is the evidence, not the goal. For too long, the church has taught people to imitate what it looks like to, to, to know Jesus, not to actually know Him. Because they've set the goal at the evidence that's what people shoot for, is making it look better, look more Christian, look more holy. And so we've got a lot of branches who aren't connected to the true vine, but they feel good about where they are because it looks like they're producing fruit. It looks like they're good vines. But these are the branches that won't produce any actual fruit. These are the branches that will live decades after decade after decade and not lead a single person to the Lord, not accomplish any of the things that we talked about, not have perseverance. There would be seasons where life got hard, and so they stopped going to church. They stopped connecting with the community of believers. They walked away from Jesus. Now they come back because things are getting a little bit better or, or things are getting really bad, and so they think, maybe if I go back to church, God will start blessing me again. And it, all, it becomes the fruit. That's what they want. They want the fruit. They don't actually want connected to the vine. Those who find their life and their being in Jesus will naturally produce fruit. If you're finding your walk with Jesus to only be a constant pushing and a constant striving to do the things that you don't want to do and you do them out of obligation, oh, I guess I have to do this, that should be a red flag. Not saying that those who are truly saved have it easy. Now, I'm not trying to say that if you're truly abiding in Jesus, everything comes so easy. Paul was very clear that's just not the case. Even Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, he says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And I've seen so many people use this as an excuse as to why their heart isn't set on Jesus. Well, even Paul struggled with this. Even Paul didn't, uh, didn't do what, you know, the, the good things at times, and so it's okay that I don't actually want to follow Jesus. But notice what this is saying, what many people overlook. Paul's saying here, he doesn't do what he wants. There's a desire in Paul now to do what is right, to follow God, to follow his example, to do the things which are in line with Jesus' character. He no longer wants to do the things. He says, I, I find myself doing the things I don't want to do. Paul doesn't want to do those things anymore. 
And so if you're somebody who's convinced yourself, no, I'm a Christian, I just don't want to do the things that Jesus tells me and I want to do the things of the world, you're probably not abiding. You're probably not connected to the true vine. You are just connected to a vine, a true-ish vine. See, Paul's execution was the problem for him, not his desire. His desire was set on Jesus. That's what he wanted for his life. And sure, he's going to mess it up. We all mess it up. Many of you have, you have that desire. You want to know Jesus more. You want to do the things which make Jesus' heart happy. And then you do something that's totally not that, and you get frustrated by it. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. This is what the series is about. Abiding in him. We abide in Jesus, and then Jesus abides in us. It's this beautiful two-way thing. For those of you who do abide, you know the truth of this scripture, because you have been abiding in Jesus. And you also acknowledge, man, Jesus is abiding in me, because if there's nothing in your life that you can point to that is only possible because of Jesus, not something that you might attribute to Jesus, but something that is only possible because of God's life inside of you, then you should wonder, are you abiding? This week is a good chance to evaluate that for yourself, to evaluate if this is true of you. Am I abiding? Am I drawing my life, my vitality, my sustenance, my whole being from Jesus? Or am I just kind of living with Jesus? Am I just hanging out with him on a weekly, bi-weekly, at least once a month basis, I go to church and I hang out with Jesus. Are you someone who just wants the benefits of the relationship without the commitment? Are you abiding? Or are you trying to get those benefits of, of that relationship to Jesus without a lifelong commitment? Without a commitment that says, Jesus, you are mine, I am yours, for the rest of my life. I don't want a side boyfriend, a side girlfriend. I don't, I don't want just some of the world and some of you. I don't want to mix these waters. I want to be yours fully, truly, and in everything. Is that your heart this morning? Is your desire to be more like Jesus? Not the, the desire, and hear me on this, not the desire to check the right boxes to feel good about yourself, because that's another truish lie of the enemy. Well, you want to be more like Jesus. No, you just want to check the right boxes so you feel good about yourself. Went to church, did a good deed, read my Bible. I feel good about myself. I'm happy. But is there a true desire to be more like Jesus? The desire to know him more. If you've never sat and been frustrated, like, man, I, I want to know Jesus more. I feel like I'm getting distant from him. I don't feel like I know him like I want to. If you've never felt that frustration, I don't know that you're abiding. Many of you who are married, have you ever been hit with that realization that I, I want to know my spouse more. I want to know them better. I'm frustrated that we're not connecting like we have. That shows you're married. 
because you want that connection. You don't want to just get them off your back, hopefully, because if you truly love them, you want to make them happy, and you want to know them, and, and that's the reason. Spending time with him. Do we have the desire to spend time with Jesus, or do we have to force ourselves to pick our Bibles up, to worship, to do any of those practices? Or do we long for those moments? If you've never longed for a moment of worship or, or some time alone with Jesus, you might not be abiding. Does your heart naturally have the same attitude of John the Baptist? John says in John 3.30, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's pray. Lord, I got to admit in my life, there have been times where I've wondered, am I truly saved? Do I really know Jesus as my Savior? And a lot of times those moments revolve around my failures, my inability to walk with you in a way that is holy and righteous, times where I've really messed up. But God, I pray this morning that over each and every one of us, there would be a desire to know the answer to this question. Are we abiding? That we would search our life, look at the fruit we have produced, and make a determination from that, knowing that the fruit is the evidence. You, you are very clear in your word. If we are abiding, we will produce fruit. Lord, I pray you would give clarity and discernment to every single person that is here or that is watching this morning. They would be able to figure out, you would sh shed light on the truth of whether or not they are abiding. And Lord, I pray they would make a decision from there, especially if they find they're not abiding, that they've just been trying to live with you, hang out with you without a commitment, without giving up the world and being the bride of Christ. Lord, I pray through this series we would study through this and learn what it means to truly abide, to truly pull all of our life, all of everything from you, that your life would flow through us and would naturally produce the fruit of you without a whole lot of effort on our part to produce that fruit. Lord, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to know what it looks like in our life to abide, that we would be honest with ourselves. And God, I pray for those who aren't abiding, I pray they would know it's so simple, it's so easy as to just call out to you and admit we have fallen short and we need you as our Savior. And God, I pray for anybody in that circumstance that they would reach out to us, they would let us know and we would have a conversation about it. God, even to come up after the service to the altar and be honest about that relationship that they thought was there and just isn't. Lord, I pray you would bless us with your presence this week, that those of us who are abiding would draw powerful life from you, and the fruit produced this week would be powerful fruit, because that's the source, is a God of power and a God of might. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Like I said, if anybody wants to come up and have a conversation about abiding, feel free to come up. The elders will also be up front because uh, always on a communion Sunday, they're up here. If anybody wants prayed over for healing or anything like that, you can come to the front.
and the men and gentlemen in the back that are, have the plates, that's for our benevolent offering. So if there are people in our family that need financial support, this is how we help them. Have a great week and abide.